Hey guys, Sonali here. I hope you're all doing very well. Uh, I know it's been a while since we've posted a new episode on the podcast and believe me, we're working very hard to find amazing guests to feature on the podcast. Uh, but it does take time to find people and to put together episodes. So hopefully we'll have something new to share with you very soon. Uh, and of course, if you know people who you think would make for great guests on the podcast, do let me know. I would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com. But in the meantime, I wanted to share this rebroadcast of one of our earlier episodes with you. This one is on business operations in tech. This is a relatively new area. So if you haven't heard this episode before, this could be an interesting area to learn more about. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, now I'll go ahead and play this episode. Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we are going to be talking about business operations in tech and to help us understand this space, our guest today is Jordan Gong and she is the director of BizOps at Ando. Now, Ando is a restaurant based in New York, and they also offer delivery services. So essentially, it's a food tech startup, and I'm going to let Jordan talk about what Ando does. But what's a really interesting tidbit about the company is that they have a very, very amazing list of investors, including people such as Jimmy Fallon, the very well-known talk show host, Aziz Ansari, the well-known stand-up comedian, Neil Blumenthal, the co-founder of Warby Barker, and many other people. So yeah, sounds like a very, very promising company. Uh, in terms of Jordan's background, she's done a variety of things prior to doing BizOps. She was in venture capital for a while. She was in investment banking for a while. She was in strategic operations for a while. So yeah, a lot of diverse experiences. And in terms of her educational background, she has a Bachelor of Arts with a focus on mathematics and economics from Columbia University. All right, I'm going to now play the discussion for you, but very quick note before we get there. We're soon going to be sharing details of projects that you can take up with startups in order to get exposure to the startup ecosystem, build your network in the startup ecosystem, and just build new skills. So if you're interested in that, do sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com. All right, with that, let's welcome Jordan. Jordan, hello, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really excited about this particular episode. I, I was doing some research on, of course, you, your background, and also your startup. And I have to say, Ando has a very, very impressive list of, of investors like Jimmy Fallon and Aziz Ansari. How did that happen? Yeah, you know, the, the genesis of Ando was really between two organizations across the country. So one co-founded by David Chang of the Momofuku Group. Um, David Chang is a, a celebrity chef and restaurateur, as well as co-founded by Expa, uh, which is a startup studio based in San Francisco, um, which is founded by Garrett Camp, one of the co-founders of Uber. Mm -hmm. So um, we were really lucky in that two of our co-founders obviously had pretty expansive 
networks across both the technology world as well as the media world uh, in New York City as well for David. So uh, Jimmy Fallon and Aziz are two personal friends of David. Jimmy actually, I I believe, loves food personally and has actually featured Ando on one of his episodes. Um, he invited a guest, I think it was Michael B. Jordan, um, to come on and do a, a kind of a side-by-side comparison uh-huh. of the Ando cheesesteak, which is oh, really? uh, okay. Ando is New York based, mm-hmm. um, with the Philly cheesesteak, because I think Michael B. Jordan had just done one of the Rocky movies, uh, Interesting. and obviously yeah. that you know that's being set in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, so that was a that was a really fun experience for us, just because you know not a ton of companies get that kind of exposure, especially at such an early stage. Right. Uh, and Aziz is a, a personal friend of David's and uh, a big foodie personally. Uh, so we were very lucky to have him on board as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and then it's, I guess I have to ask you that how did you end up? Because I'm sure it's an experience just being surrounded by this caliber of people, right? How did you end up there? Yeah, that actually, you know, being surrounded with, with that caliber of people. And it's funny that you mentioned a finale because that that's part of the reason why I joined Ando. Hmm. I, to be honest, didn't imagine myself working at a food company. I came to Ando through by way of Expa. So um, Expa is a venture studio and I had worked in the venture capital world prior to working at Ando. So through through my network, through knowing a couple of folks, I got connected to the team at Expa and they mentioned that they were starting this new project. Uh, it was with David Chang. They wanted somebody to come on as the first employee to help get the project off the ground, basically. I see. Uh, and that and that was a really exciting opportunity for me, just partially because of all the names around the table. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I don't think I'm familiar with the term Venture Studio. Can you elaborate on that? What's a Venture Studio? Sure. So, uh, and to be honest, you know, I I also had a, a hard time kind of wrapping my head around it. It's it's pretty innovative in the way that we operate. So, Expa has a fund very much like a VC, but rather than going out to seek entrepreneurs to invest in, they operate by incubating ideas within. So, similar mm-hmm. to a movie studio, might. Uh, have an idea for a a movie uh, and then hire a producer, a director, a cast and crew. Expa operates very much the same way with startups. So they have an idea for a company or a product they think that should exist. Mm -hmm. uh, And they are the ones to fund it and hire a team around it to execute on the idea. Oh, gotcha. So is it sort of like a Y Combinator or a 500 startups then? Similar, but I think the main difference here is that the Y Combinator companies are often companies that apply to the incubator or, um, you know, to 500 startups, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Expa, thing, the, the ideas and companies are bred from within and what they hire are initial employees rather than initial uh, seeking founders. Oh. oh, very interesting. Okay. So this, this this episode is about biz ops, and don't worry, I'm getting there. But this this is a this is an interesting concept. So I, I guess if I am interested in starting a company, but I do not have an idea right now, then 
then I, I I can still apply to Expa and join there as a as an as an employee of some sort and then work on companies at a later point. Totally. So okay. Expa works in a, in a couple of different ways. The the one you mentioned is exactly the way that I got involved, hmm. um, which is I I knew I wanted to have um, an entrepreneurial experience, but didn't necessarily have an idea that I was super, super passionate about on my own. I so see. I got connected to the ESPA folks. The opportunity they presented was being on the ground floor and essentially building this company from scratch, uh, an idea that they had already been working on. Gotcha. But uh, there are other uh, other entrepreneurs at Expo who follow kind of the EIR model, uh, yeah. which stands for Entrepreneur in Residence. So if you're a kind of a proven um, executive of sorts and you want to be somewhere where you can start incubating your own idea and just have a platform and a network of people to, to help you get something off the ground, Expa is also, um, has also done that with a couple of, uh, couple of EIRs. I see. Okay, very interesting. All right, so then let's get to uh, business operations. So can you then describe for us the job of someone in business operations? Sure. Uh, so I think it's it's interesting right now because I think business operations as a term has only been around for the last couple of years or more prominently in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And to that extent, it's still a functional role that's emerging and evolving. And it looks very different between companies um, of different stages and even at the same stage, different companies would tend to structure it maybe differently. So broadly, here's what I see about business operations that covers the whole spectrum of different roles. Um, one, there's always some sort of mix between strategic finance and data analytics. So it's really around applying a very structured um, framework to a problem and working cross-functionally. So you'd be working with different types of teams within the orgs to get a project or something done. Hmm. Help me understand that a little bit more. So I guess, because what you described is still very high level. So I guess you are someone in, in, in BizOps, you are someone who is identifying problems that need to be solved across the company. And then you're you're working with various teams to solve them and where your primary focus is on data and finance? Yes. And maybe it's helpful if I gave a couple of examples yeah. of, of projects I worked on. Yeah. Um, so one of the initial things that I did was work with our product team to understand our customer analytics. Uh, so we, as a restaurant, um, we also have a tech component where Customers can order uh, whatever they want through a web app or uh, an iPhone app. Mm-hmm. And um, we do a lot of analysis on how customers are behaving within the app and also how customers ordering behaviors uh, trends over time. So one of the key projects that I worked on um, was sitting with the product team to understand out of all the potential things we can track and all of the metrics that we're looking at, what are really the key, you know, KPIs? And I'm sure you've heard that over and over again. Um, yeah. What are the KPIs that are really relevant to both the customer experience um, and improving upon that, as well as our business fundamentals? So, like, what are the KPIs that drive our business? 
I see. Um, I see. Yeah. So as you can see, this is this specific project is very much, you know, between um, somebody who might be more on like the finance team, so to speak, or the data team and somebody who would be on the product team. Um, and in this case, I work directly with our CTO and our product manager. Gotcha, gotcha. And KPI, for those people who are not familiar, is key performance indicators. You're identifying certain metrics and tracking them. Can you sh- can you share another example? I think it'll be helpful to maybe contrast the variety of projects someone like you might work on. Sure. Uh, so Ondo oper- own, uh, operates our own kitchens, mm-hmm. which means we have a lease and we have um, all the workforce in the kitchen on our payroll as our hourly um, employees. And so one of the main projects for me when I was working at on um, what I was working on at the beginning was figuring out now that, you know, we know that labor cost is a very big component of our business model. So understanding how best to schedule the labor force and working with our HR, mm. part, my HR partner, as well as with um, the culinary, the head of culinary to figure out people's schedules, um, what is the most efficient way to organize and structure that labor force. And also um, kind of another finance side of that analysis was figuring out, okay, what can we afford as a business to provide in terms of benefits? So things like medical care, dental care, um, you know, commuter benefits, kind of the the run of the mill benefits that you typically will see at a larger tech company, uh, but seeing what we can do to make that also possible for our hourly labor force. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, this is very helpful. And, you know, based on the examples that you gave, it sounds a lot like, you know, like an operations role, right? Like you're the one who is responsible for making sure that things are running smoothly and efficiently, and we're extracting as much value as possible from whatever resources you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mm. think um, in terms of, you know, I think everybody kind of wants to understand biz, how does BizOps fits into the larger organization. Mm. Um, what I've seen is is kind of two different types of variations. So one, business operation rolls into finance, um, eventually kind of reporting into the CFO. Um, and in that, in those situations, they would have more kind of a strategic finance slant right. to it. Right. And the other, the other configuration might be that they report into a COO type person. Right. Um, right. And that would have, you know, sometimes a more kind of operational slant focus to it. But those two lines often are, are very blurred. And especially for earlier stage startups, uh, they could be even one and the same. You know, the CFO is the COO. Hmm. Uh, so that's why the, the the range of projects kind of cross both finance and operations. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I have heard sometimes that, you know, a BizOps role can have a slightly more strategy focus on it also. I, so it tends to vary a little bit uh, company to company. Um, how did you, is, is this role referred to by any other names, by the way? So generally, BizOps, will you hear any other term used for pretty much the same thing? Yeah, I think potentially strategic finance Mm. is one. Um, Maybe somebody would just business analyst Mm. is another that I kind of see. 
and in in the projects that you described as an example like the product the, the where you were engaging with product or where you were uh, working on the on sort of figuring out the labor cost and how to optimize that is it you alone working with these teams or how how who are the key people that you're working with as you're working on these problems yeah so andro is is fairly early stage of the company so i definitely I was the only person in my yeah. role working directly with a lead on a set different team. Uh, what I've seen as well for other larger companies, so companies like um, Dropbox, for example, was one of the first to, to have a business operations team. Um, also NerdWallet, um, a finance, uh, kind of personal finance startup, they also have a biz ops team. Mm-hmm. Where they do is they'll take somebody from the biz ops team and then partner them on a one-to-one basis with somebody on another function in a role in another functional area, right? Um, and usually the two or the three of them, um, however large that you know that working team is, is enough to um, kind of make decisions or, or propose strategies relating to a specific part of the product, let's say, um, or a specific part of the operation. I, you know, I, so clearly you work on very, very different kind of projects, but just for the sake of understanding the role a little bit better, maybe take one of the examples of, of uh, one of the projects that you worked on as an example, and let's walk through the stages that you sort of went through as you proceeded in the project. Yeah. Um, so I guess a good example of this would be when, I was working with our CEO to figure out pricing and um, our basically the, the gross margins of our business model. Okay, this is so, at, this is at uh, Ando. Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So, um, what would that look like? Was first first step was me meeting with the CEO, framing the problem or framing the questions we had in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of more specifically so you know what is the end goal we want to achieve so is it is this coming because uh we think we're being we're pricing under market or over market is this coming because um i don't know we think we can make more more revenue if we changed our pricing kind of framing the the problem first and then understanding what the outputs are which is which is things like, okay, well, we want to, at the end of the project, we want to have, is it that we want to find out that, hey, our pricing model is completely wrong? Or do we want to have like a new proposed pricing model to have in place, um, et cetera. So there, there's a lot of kind of a work up front because this role is so broad mm-hmm. that it really serves, um, you know, me and anybody else in this role to, to try to scope it out and understand the goals um, as specifically as you can right. before um, before embarking uh, on the project. Right, right. Um, and then it becomes up to me to drive this process forward. So um, in terms of something like pricing, there's uh, an external facing aspect and an internal facing aspect. So the external facing one is is a bit what you mentioned, Sonali, around uh, potentially the, the strategic aspect of this role. So right going out into the market, understanding some consumer trends, understanding how other people are pricing their products, for example, um, and and bringing that information back into the company that um, whatever I research. The internal facing one is more around understanding, okay, so if we've priced this to date, like why have we done this to date? 
um, what, what were the assumptions before or have these assumptions changed over time? So, for example, in food, um, and this is kind of a, a very straightforward example, but for food, you tend to price the retail price of the food based on some of the inputs like how much do the ingredients cost or okay. how labor intensive is this product to make, mm. for example. Mm. Um, so investigating those aspects of the pricing directly with the internal partners. So in, in this case, it would be our uh, supply chain manager who does all the procurement. It would be the head of culinary who comes up with the recipes. Um, it would be the head of culinary operations who does all the training and managing mm. of, of the mm. labor force. Right. Um, yeah. And it's really my job to kind of not, not only do, you know, get my pro- move my project forward but but also work with the partners to help them understand why this might be important mm. um and i think that's that's one area that that is a little bit nuanced because you don't want to come in seeing see me like the auditor right or like <laughs> yeah. the irs trying right, to be right, like right. well you didn't do this properly or or something like that right. um and that that often obviously doesn't set you up for success with with working with the the other um, partners on your team. So uh, a lot of it is around um, communicating, kind of helping, not just understanding where they're coming from, but also help them understand where you're coming from and why some of these questions that you're asking and and the project you're working on is relevant to the company as a whole, but also in a way to help them see, you know, their workflow a little bit differently or to add more context to what they're doing. Right, right. Yeah, actually, you know, this, this to me, it sounds very much like a consulting job, but like you're, you're an internal consultant as opposed to an an external consulting firm firm that you bring on for a specific engagement. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds, um, I've heard this role of business operations being described in that way many times. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there are, uh, there are ways where it would be, how do I put this? I think that in, at some companies, they try consciously to, to move away from that because they don't want to see the business operation team's roles to be, uh, um, transient hmm. in a way, right? Hmm. So like this is like a just like a temporary project you're working on or or something to that extent. So I and but I think it I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I would just say that you know some companies probably set it up slightly differently so that you're you're maybe not jumping around different projects so much or maybe you're you're working specifically with one functional team um, over a longer period of time yeah that makes sense and i'm guessing like in in the example that you gave for example the the pricing example uh, and so i'm sure after you did all the analysis you must have come up with a recommendation then you presented it and there must have been some back and forth how how involved are you in the implementation of some of these things so yeah, for me, in the, for the most part, I am involved in the implementation, especially if it relates to something like operations. Um, so for example, in, in the example of um, the staffing model, like I was sitting with the, um, the, the head of people to really figure out, okay, you know, what does the schedule look like and how does that impact our, our financial model? Um, but in another example, such as like the one working with product, 
my implementation kind of ends when the technical part begins. Right. So it, it really depends on, you know, how much level of skill does it require or specialization does right. it require to implement. Okay. Very cool. So yeah, this is this is super helpful. It, it gives us a very good overview of what the job is. Uh, I, I wanted to get some of your more uh, qualitative thoughts on the role, I guess. And also, actually, before we before we get there, what is your typical day like? Then are you spending a lot of time just talking to people and then in Excel, maybe? Hmm. Um, let's see. What is my typical? I, I think my so the day to day looks it kind of looks very different depending on what are the priorities of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, I didn't mention this, but one of my roles was trying to also help um, work with the CEO and, and our executive team to help set some of the, the larger like quarterly goals, for mm-hmm. example. Um, so wh- one of the things that would happen is uh, during those weeks where we're doing quarterly planning, um, I might be spending almost all of my days in meetings one-on-one with the, the leads of different um, functional area to, to help reiterate and reiterate on our quarterly plan. Right. Um, my main tools are definitely Excel. Um, I use a little bit of SQL as well. Um, right. And, and right. we actually use mm-hmm. a, a SQL visualizer, so something like a Tableau Looker. It's a tool called Metabase that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, but primarily, yes, it's, it's meeting with folks cross-functionally um, and doing a lot of kind of heads-down analysis and research on my own. Right. And then how do you measure the success of someone in this role? Also because you are uh, a lot of the success of your recommendation depends on other people, right? So h- how is your performance assessed? Yeah, I think, you know, I honestly think that like, and this is me coming from an early stage startup perspective. Hmm. Um, I really think the success in this role, it, it's easy because you're being, I would think you're being judged in a very similar way that other other function roles are being evaluated which which is how effective are you in in making an impact to the business um and i think a lot of it i mean i guess maybe the the um the only difference is there are roles at startups where you're being judged by and you know like how well are you maintaining systems for Mm -hmm. example right like the engineering team needs to keep the website up for example um but really my role is more around impact um and impact is is definitely really hard to measure which is which is why i um i mentioned for if it's a very much like a project-based uh role to be very clear and to be as specific as possible on like what you're trying to drive to Mm. at the beginning of the project um and you know one lesson one one lesson that I've learned throughout all of this and and this also being like my first operating role at a startup because previously I was on the investing side in BC yeah. um, is that your also your success is also commensurate on how well you collaborate and how well you kind of communicate your point <laughs> of view and your yeah. analysis to your peers. Right. Um, and as you said, because the implementation doesn't only rely on you, and sometimes it's completely out of your hands, right? Mm, yeah. So, um, so it's definitely a very qualitative measurement at the end of the day. 
yeah 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 so that's why you not only have to be very good at the analysis piece and coming up with a good recommendation but you have to be good at communicating it and influencing other people to do it and making sure that you do you're doing whatever needs to be done to make that happen absolutely i think influence is is a great word in this case because one of the challenges of the role at least how i've seen some of the roles being structured in the org chart for companies is that there right there's no direct reporting into you um Mm-hmm. that your team is really kind of a, a, a team of peers. So it, it's really, if you're, if you're struggling with that influence part, it's really difficult to be effective in this role. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm almost imagining like the central team that is trying to find problems and solving them and then has to influence all these other teams that are actually doing these things to make it happen. So yeah, it influence should be a critical component. Um, you brought up challenges and Clearly, this being able to influence and being a good communicator is one of them. Are there any other challenging aspects of this job? Yeah, I think so. A couple of things come to mind. Um, For me, depending on what type of person you are, the job could be challenging because there's a lot of context switching. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a lot of balancing between different projects. If you have multiple things going on at the same time, that could be with completely different areas of the business. So, um, you know, to some people, this that might be really exciting and exactly what they're looking for. Um, for others, maybe less so, maybe that context switching is is exhausting and different, difficult to, to flip back and forth. Right. Um, so I definitely would say that that's one of them. Um, and I would put kind of context switching with balancing um, the workload together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other challenging piece, and, and this is something that my my peers or my cohort of, of other biz op, ops folks at other startups and I have talked about a lot, which is there isn't necessarily a clear um, career path growth. Mm. Um, and like I said, because this organization tends to be so cross-functional, you have a lot of opportunities to go into different areas of the business, um, but there isn't a clear path mm. to say, okay, mm. you know, year one, you should be here, year three, you're going to be here, and year five, you're mm, here. Right. So it's really up to the individual um, to kind of take more a more active role, right, in, in planning their own path in this. And what I've seen most commonly um, is that you'll end up finding maybe one area of the business where um, you just are really drawn to mm. um, and, and try to carve out a path more there. And, and hopefully when, when this functional role perhaps matures a little bit, you will see um, kind of a role that that's maybe more senior or more clear career path. But at this point, it, it's really up to the individual to figure that out. Yeah, I'm sure, like you're saying, that a lot of BizOps people are sort of exiting into various more mainstream functions then. So from BizOps, you might become, in some of the examples you you shared, you might go into product, you might go into something more like vendor management or something else, category management. Because you're getting exposed to so many uh, parts of the business, you can sort of figure out what you like. Yeah, Yeah. And, and actually an exciting kind of exit or, or growth path that I've also heard of is 
folks going from biz ops to becoming more um, and graduating into a more senior role as a GM of a business line. So yeah, yeah. that's also something that, that I've seen happen depending on how the, the business overall is structured. That makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. Okay. And then what are the things that you really like about this job? So you, you already mentioned some of them. So clearly you're getting exposed to a lot of different parts of the business. Uh, so you get that high level overview and there's a lot of variety, clearly. Anything else that comes top of mind? I think the training in BizOps is, is really good in, in the sense that it's both a role where you can be very macro and micro at the same time. Um, so what I mean by this is the, the macro part, obviously, is, is you're, you're encouraged to be strategic. You're encouraged to kind of understand the bigger picture and how something impacts the larger organization. Um, the micro is that you're still hold, held to a pretty high bar. I mean, if you look at the job descriptions for a lot of these BizOps roles, um, folks tend to look for people who have an analytical background, either, you know, coming from a quantitative education background, like mm-hmm. a, a engineering background or, or a bachelor of science in, in, you know, economics or math or physics. Um, and you're also expected to know how to deal with a lot of quantitative tools, um, you know, Excel being one of the most common ones and, and SQL and other types of uh, data, data analytics tools right. as well. Right, right, right. And then are there any aspects of this job that you do not like? So not necessarily challenging, but just something that you don't like? Um. I think one of the difficulties of this job and what I've seen in the industry thus far is how effective you can be in your role also really depends on where this business operations team reports into and how effective is that person. Um, mm. And in part, what I mean is most startups, especially on the tech side, there's always going to be a product lead, right? There's, there's always going to be some kind of finance lead. There's always going to be some kind of operations lead or um, head of marketing, for example. Mm-hmm. But because there isn't necessarily a role carved out on um, the more senior end necessarily for, for a business operations person, um, I've seen what happens is if, if, if the org chart changes at the top, it really kind of affects a lot of the, um, the folks on the biz ops team and how effective and how you know valued their work might be. So I, yeah. I, I would say that's probably one of the challenges just to keep in mind if, if, if you have some listeners who are looking to, to move into a biz ops role and then considering a biz ops offer, for example, mm-hmm. um, that kind of really can make a difference to what, t- what kind of job work they're doing and, and how, how much impact they can have in an organization. Yeah, that, that's actually a very good tip. And is there a, how, how can you assess this from the from the outside? So let's say I'm recruiting and I'm interested in BizOps. What's, what's a good sign that, okay, this role carries some weight in an organization? And what's a sign that maybe it does not? Um, yeah, I think that's really, really, really tough. I think that that's kind of like the, uh, the million dollar question, right? And, and for a lot of people interviewing, I'm sure, um, not only in BizOps, but for, um, you know, interviewing in general, it's right. very hard to kind of see into a company and, and how, how the lay of the land is. Um, in terms of tips, 
I would really just try to get as an unbiased opinion from the the team itself as possible and maybe dig a little bit more into okay like from from all the projects you guys have been working on tell me about the top three that have really made like the ones that have the biggest impact on the business right um and then maybe you'll begin to see if they name three projects um that they believe are the most impactful Mm -hmm. maybe you can evaluate truly like do you if you were the ceo of this company like would you would you really value what came out of that, or do you think it's more of like oh that's like a nice to have? Right, right. That's that's a very good idea, and yeah, and I'm sure mostly people are not going to lie, but just based on the kind of answers they give, you can figure out how how critical or not so critical the function is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, has there been anything unexpected that um, you've now found out about the role, or maybe any common misconceptions that you think? people tend to have about this role that you know better now that now that you've done it for a while hmm. misconceptions yeah i guess I, I didn't mention this yet but i think this might be a good time to maybe talk about the the misconceptions so because this this role is again very different between companies i would say one one of the biggest difference is trying to understand um, if business operations is has a has a strategic slant to it in the company or not. And so the way I I kind of see it is sometimes there are some companies where business operations actually means um, something closer to regular operations, which is around finance. Um, uh, let's say like finance, facilities, HR, um, kind of like the guts of what makes a company keep running. Mm-hmm. Um, and where where I see, where my experience has been and where I've seen some of the more successful business operations teams structured is really having um, more of an impact on actually maybe the business model or the product itself. Um, mm-hmm. So some having a bigger impact to what is core to the company. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, it's... Go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that this is kind of aligned with what you're saying, what you said previously, that you need to be... You need to sort of figure out exactly what kind of problems is the BizOps team working on and mm-hmm. who, are, who are they reporting into because that can have a huge impact on the kind of work and the criticality of the work. And so I, I guess what you're pointing to is that it's not that you're going to have a consistent BizOps function across all companies. It, it can vary quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I just had a couple more questions, more from the point of view of someone who is interested in recruiting for a BizOps role. So one, you know, if let's say you were to think about, you know, someone... Uh, in BizOps who's doing really well, maybe that's you, maybe it's someone else on your team. What What are the five traits you would find in this person who who is really doing well in the job and is really enjoying himself or herself? I think business operations, you, you really have to have somebody who um, is both interested in dealing with like the numbers and, and doing research and, and the quantitative aspect Mm-hmm. of of a job and but at the same time it's it's heavily heavily people focused because you are sometimes the hub between different teams or you are kind of like the glue between the different functional areas 
uh, and it requires navigating that requires a lot of kind of the soft skills. So mm. you, you have to kind of enjoy the challenge of navigating a organization without necessarily, you know, being part of a, of a silo, for mm. example. Right. Um, I, I think some, somebody else who would really in really enjoy this job. And, and one of the reasons why a lot of, former bankers or former consultants actually get recruited into this role is because it's, it's very project-based. So you do have that variety of quarter to quarter, you might be working on something completely different hmm. and the whole kind of the, the cadence and the structure of the work you're doing is very project-based. And lastly, I, I think you gotta, you gotta enjoy also um, being very autonomous to a certain extent. Um, because sometimes you're the, the lead working on a specific problem um, and it's kind of people look towards you to, to pull together the, the specs of the project, to pull together kind of the timeline and everything. So it, it really takes somebody who's, you know, a self-starter um, and not to use too many buzzwords, but <laughs> self-starter, autonomous, that kind of um, can-do attitude. Right, right. And I, I think just based on what you've described, it also looks like to me that you need to be someone who is more of a generalist because the kind of problems that you might work on are so different. So you need to be someone who is who can sort of learn very quickly because it's not possible for one person to have prior expertise in everything. Uh, so you need to be someone who can sort of learn new areas very quickly and do that minimum level of research or whatever is needed to bring yourself up to date as opposed to sort of picking one area and going really deep into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think especially at the early stage where you might be a very small team or, or the first biz ops hire, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Um, you definitely need to be a generalist. That's kind of a, a blessing and a curse to a certain extent um, for some people, given where maybe depending on where they are in their careers or where they're trying to get to. Yeah. I do think that probably on a bigger team um, and, you know, one good example of this is actually LinkedIn. LinkedIn has a huge biz ops team where you are working on a very um, specific area of the business. And in those cases where the team is larger, there's definitely more room for specialization um, mm. and to work on something that you want to keep developing personally or just an area of the business you're really interested in. Right, right, right. And this might be a little bit of an overlapping question, but I'll ask in case you have something, which is that, so you described sort of the, some of the things that you might find in someone who would enjoy this job and would do well in it. The, the best BizOps people, have you seen them do something really exceptional or something which really makes them stand out? I think, honestly, this kind of ties back to my advice for all generalists. And, and this is based on um, what I've seen, how, you know, how I've seen people move on, move, move through their careers or even reflecting on my own kind of career trajectory coming from finance and moving to the buy side in BC and then finally, you know, having it um, working at a st early stage startup. I would just say, you know, it, it's a lot of fun being a generalist, but the majority of folks who end up really succeeding um, in their careers have, have had to make some sort of decision to specialize at some mm. point. Mm. Um, and, and that's just from my own observations. 
Um, I'm sure there are countless, you know, countless uh, counterexamples <laughs> to, to what I'm saying. But uh, I think, yeah, what makes a business operations person really successful in my mind is, is obviously, you know, some of the table stakes of, you know, just being driving impact to the business and, and managing your workflow and, and working well with all your collaborators and your peers. But taking that a step further is kind of being a little bit more conscientious about how you think about building um, your career, either staying in biz ops or, or just being more deliberate in, in trying to specialize in, in, in a specific area of the business. Right, right. Um, are there any resources that you would want to recommend for uh, people who are interested in either learning more about the role or, or as they're preparing for interviews, some things that you might want to recommend? I, so now I, mean, I was going to say, my first instinct was going to say like, Hey, just, just talk to other people who have this, uh, a biz all shop. But I guess that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you, which is, it's really the best way to kind of figure out what you want to do and to figure out what companies might be looking for a candidate is to speak to people in the mm-hmm. jobs themselves. And, and honestly, I've, I found that if, if you email, even if you cold outreach to somebody, um, or let's say get a warm intro to them and, and genuinely express that you've done at least some homework on your end, which is maybe done some reading. I'm sure there's, I know that there's, there's different readings online regarding this topic or something like this, like this podcast. I think if you just express that you've done a little bit of homework, but you're really just interested in, in buying them a cup of coffee and sitting down for 30 minutes to chat through, a lot of people would respond to that. And I personally um, have responded to those types of requests. Yeah. So, like, you know, tell me, tell us a little bit more about that, because this, this, I think, is something which a lot of people want to know more about that. Okay, how do I cold mail someone and get them to spend some time with me, whether it's on over, over a phone call, or I think a meeting in person is really hard to get. But if you can get that, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's say not, I mean, not to put you on the spot. But you know, let's say someone were to cold mail you, can you describe in as much detail as you can, what kind of message would attract your attention? Yeah, I think what I would do what I tend to do, and, and I guess what would attract my attention is one, if the person, definitely the homework part, I cannot stress that enough. I really, um, it, it does, it's, it's not in your favor if you send out an email that's super, super general, um, mm-hmm. and just saying like, hey, I want to pick your brain. Um, a lot of times people have this concept of, you know, I, I really encourage people who want to get more access to kind of bring something to the table themselves. So, um, and that could come in many different ways. One is perhaps um, you've done some area or done some reading in my industry and you're, you're interested in sharing with me. And I think people should never assume that I know everything about food, for example. And even if it's just something like, Hey, I recently saw this article and found it really interesting that they were focused on the food waste in mm. the food industry. Like, what what is your view on this? Just something that shows that you've just done at least a little bit of research. And it actually, it's not just showing that you've done the research, but it gives me and you now a, a point of commonality to start a conversation. That's right. Right? That's right. That it's not just, 
yeah, let's schedule a time, um, but more something for us to bounce <laughs> off each other. Yeah. Um, I think I can give you an example of recently, like how I've engaged with, with somebody that I, I had <laughs> met at a networking event, um, but wanted to kind of keep in touch with, mm-hmm. um, kind of followed up with, I followed up with an email to him and he was currently building not to give away too much, but he's he's currently building kind of a very premium, so to speak, consumer experience using technology. And I know that's very broad, but um, <laughs> and, and it's in an area where I don't know much about. So, for example, education, right? Um, it's an area that I don't have a lot of experience with, but I do have experience with, let's say, thinking about premium experiences in food, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I've also been reading a, diff- a lot of different publications or blog posts around what does it mean to try to build a luxury or premium experience. Um, so I, I shared some of those readings with him just saying, Hey, like you might find this interesting because, you know, because yeah. uh, of what you're doing. Uh, I, you know, I, I would love to sit down and chat sometimes about my experience or my take on this, uh, given, given what I've been doing at Ondo. Yeah. For example. Yeah. No, this is this is this is a great example and it clearly illustrates how even though you did not have any experience in that industry itself, you sort of looked looked at what else was there in your experience that you could relate to whatever this person was doing and then shared stuff with him from that experience. So, that's a great example. Thank you. Um when when people are applying for these bizops jobs, I, I guess in terms of the actual application itself, the best way to apply is through a referral, I guess, whenever you can make that happen or something else. Yeah. Um, of course, referrals are, are very appreciated here um, in, in the Bay Area. And I, and I think if you just, I feel like people are so connected because it's such a small world that it, it may not be that hard to do. Now, short of doing that, what I've realized is one, um, tweaking your resume a little bit just to highlight some of the, the aspects of it that might be more analytical or strategic, whatever matches the job description of mm. what type of candidate they're looking for. Um, and typically for, for hiring processes, at least on my, at my company is we, we do a resume screen and we do a phone call. That's all pretty standard. Um, there's an onsite and there's, usually a couple of different types of case studies involved. And that could be either kind of a take-home hmm. assignment. That could be something where you come in and you're presented with a case study at the beginning of the session and at the end of two or three hours, you're expected to, to present something. I've also seen uh, processes where you're basically in this type of roundtable discussion where you're presented with a problem and you're 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 asked to talk through how you would go and approach this with a uh, a small plant panel. Hmm. I see. So, I mean, from what you've described, it sounds like as far as interview prep is concerned, you should do a lot of the standard consulting case interview prep. Yeah, and honestly, I don't I don't know if that's. Uh, it's kind of a chicken or the egg, right? Because a lot of folks that they're recruiting sometimes have the consulting background. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know what started first, <laughs> um, but definitely, um, you know, whatever helps train your, let me tackle a problem kind of mindset. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of times that's just case studies let's say i don't have that consulting background or the investment banking background 
Uh, actually, one question for you. Is an MBA important for this role? I think it could help. I um, I definitely seen people recruit for prefer to recruit somebody with an MBA background, but I don't think it's necessary. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's say I don't have a consulting or a banking or that kind of a quantitative background. Let's say I've been working in, um, I don't know, marketing, let's say, right? What can I do in my resume or what are, what are some things that I can do which will help illustrate that I can do the job? Yeah, I would say, you know, in your resume, make sure just to highlight anything that has an analytical aspect to it or um, show that you've through something that you've done has had X amount of impact on the business. Hmm. But, but I think the tips that I can share are probably maybe a little bit more helpful on, on the actual interviewing side where I remember this is, this is back in the day when I was preparing for um, uh, case interviews as a new college grad. Uh, And one of the ways it's really, it's kind of like the SATs. Like you just have to get good at it. It's a very specific (laughs) skill. And one of the ways that might be fun is just talking to some of your colleagues in maybe operationally intensive roles or even people who are doing like product development or user research and asking them about, you know, one or two of the interesting problems that they've tackled in the last year or so of their jobs and just using those as prompts to kind of kickstart your own thinking process around it. Um, and if they're a good enough friend, take them out to dinner and just discuss about your approach and how you're framing the problem with them. Um, I've always found, you know, taking some of the real, real life type questions is, is really helpful to just train mm-hmm. yourself into that kind of thinking. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Well, this was wonderful, Jordan. Thank you so much, really. Is there any other advice that you'd want to share with someone who's, you know, relatively early in their career trying to figure things out and is considering a biz ops role? You could have, you could share advice on that, but even general career advice would be great. Uh, no, I think I covered everything. I mean, despite some of the challenges and and um, the the different aspects of this role that, that may appeal to some people or not. I've personally had a really, really great time working in business operations. So it's a biased review for me, but I would give it <laughs> two thumbs up. <laughs> no, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. And all the best at Ondo. It sounds like an amazing, amazing place to be. And I'm jealous, to be honest, that you're getting to spend time with people like Aziz and Sorry and Jimmy Fallon. I'm sure, I'm sure you're learning a lot. Thank you so much, Sonali. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Just before you leave, do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com, where we share updates on new episodes, a lot of career-oriented resources, and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website. Of course, if you have any questions at all, or if you just want to say hello, you can always email us. Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.